One year, I kind of got an idea. You almost tried trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure. And I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money in the fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. This structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon's ads to information, trapping radios. We are trappers and ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because we're working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the fur shed. This is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. I always get a kick out of this in that intro song. Thanks for tuning in. We're brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-D-R-O-S.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Trap snares, baits, lures, books, DVDs, Cots Bros has what you need to get started. On X Maps, use your phone as a GPS on the trap line. Mark the trap locations, run tracks, scout with the latest aerial imagery, and get landowner information to figure out whose property um, who owns property that you might want to set traps on and get their contact information. We're also brought to you by Moyle Making Tannery. What are you going to do with your fur this year? Are you a new trapper just catching the first few critters, uh, uh, first few animals of each particular species? You want to preserve those memories, get that fur tanned? Are you a seasoned veteran and you catch fur all the time, but you're tired of low fur prices, you're tired of the, the way the market's been? and you want to look into some alternative markets. Either way, tanning your fur is the best way to buy yourself some time and to create more opportunity both for preservation and for uh, exploring alternative markets. You, you need to get that fur, uh, that raw fur, in a state of preservation, and Moyle does an incredibly beautiful job. They are the professionals. Go to moyle.net, M-O-Y-L-E.net. They have a, a new customer portal that makes it easy for you to put together your order online and then uh, you just print off the label and you ship the thing out. Uh, great people to deal with. Uh, you can also contact them at info, I-N-F-O at moil.net and let them know that you uh, appreciate them supporting the Trapping Day podcast. All right, guys. So in this episode, we're going to get into part two of our interview with Philippe Willis, the guy behind the Our Numinous Nature podcast and the Trapping Today Mustela t-shirt artwork. Um, had a great conversation with him last week, and we're going to continue on uh, where we left off, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah, I guess to just kind of finish up that story, and we've been eating the bobcat. And uh, it, honestly, I feel like every wild game has a different feeling that you get out of it, and I'm trying to really pay attention to that. Like, I feel like deer makes you feel energized squirrel makes you kind of feel energized i felt like raccoon makes you feel kind of uh 
it kind of makes you, it's like an antidepressant. It makes you laugh and smile. And then Bobcat just, man, what energy in there. And I feel as though the Bobcat and Snapping Turtle are the two best wild game that I've ever had. Really? Yes. I mean, I made, I just parboiled the Bobcat, you know, three hours cooking it, just boiling water, pulled it out. I made a homemade Korean barbecue sauce, covered it in that and just, you know, eat it with rice and whatever other sides. It was absolutely outstanding. Nice. Yeah, I, I I assume it tastes very similar to Lynx, which I I had last winter mm. and was surprisingly good. Mmm, so cool. That was when you were in Alaska. Yeah, because you can't you can't get them in Maine, right? No. <laughs> right. Right. You you could, but you'd be in jail after Got a it. short while. Yeah. <laughs> Neat. You cook you cooked it up on the trap line in the yeah, cabin or whatever. Yeah, in the cabin, we just put it uh put it in a pot on the stove with uh, some onions and some salt and pepper there really wasn't much we didn't have much for spices there or anything but i uh, just cooked it slow and boy i don't know so if it cool. was, i don't know if it was part of just hunger being out in the cold or or what but it, that was uh that was really good it was really good so meal. cool yeah. i don't re- i don't remember that detail i've listened to all the podcasts i don't remember that detail but that's awesome yeah um you so you've eaten you've eaten all these any any thoughts other observations uh, on on how you've been successful cooking coons or uh, or bobcat or or beaver? Yeah, um, yeah, and then that this actually might open up a question that I have back towards you. Um, so I've found that everything has tasted great if prepared properly. The only time I've had to throw away, uh, the only time I've had to throw away food. I tried to do deer ribs and there was too much of the tallow on it. And my girlfriend and I were like, this is gross. Yeah. Like I can't eat this. And, um, other than that with the raccoons, I've just, um, parboiled before that you obviously have to remove these glands that are like oh, yeah. behind, behind it's like uh, knees. And I also just tried to cut away like all of the fat, mm-hmm. anything that's gristly or white. I try to get that out of there. And then it tastes completely normal. And, you know, I, I cook with a ton, a ton, a ton of spices. So that's obviously helpful. I make like a lot of Indian curries and stuff like that. Um, but I served the raccoon to two of my New York City friends who are not, they're not nature folks in the slightest. And they're big, you know, they eat really high-end restaurants in New York City. And they came by, they drove through Appalachia on a little vacation I served them the raccoon and barbecue sauce and my buddy who literally will spend like two days cooking at home. Cause he'll, he can cook on the level of fine dining. He was blown away. Really? He was like, that is incredible. And, um, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess muskrat is awesome. The beavers. The only time I've had a weirdness with the beavers was my very first beaver. I wasn't careful with the butchering. I think I got some caster on Ooh, that meat. Yeah. Yeah. That flavor in the background, I don't like it all. No. I mean, I really did not like that. Yeah. Um, other than that, everything's great. And here's my question back to you is I was really enjoying eating the raccoons. It was that the eating part really helps me for trapping. Like if I can eat these things, then I've really got no qualms anymore. And so I was really enjoying the raccoon trap line. And then I was looking at pictures of raccoons because I wanted to draw one and I stumbled into this this article that sucked me into like a black hole 
which was basically about the raccoon roundworm and um, how it's very rare for humans to get it, but humans can die from it. And it's from the raccoon scat. And it seems as though the main issue is people cleaning up old basements or a garage or a shed or kids in sandboxes. They can get this raccoon roundworm from the scat. It's the eggs will be in the scat and then it can grow basically in your body. So that really freaked me out. Even though I'm boiling the meat for three hours, I just panicked about even handling raccoons and even bringing the raccoon pelt and the raccoon meat into my house before it's been cooked. And so I really freaked out. And I kind of, I wrote to our Virginia fur bear biologist. I said, Hey, how serious is this? I wrote to meat trapper and I said, Hey, how serious is this? Um, they both, kind of gave me a response that makes me feel a lot better um but i'm just wondering okay there are guys out there that are catching hundreds of raccoons a year is anyone getting these any of these like I, well i guess i would really love if in the future if you're interested to hear a whole podcast episode about zoonotic diseases and our trappers ever catching anything from handling so many critters yeah that's a that's a really good question i i honestly don't know a thing about it so that okay. would be a good that would be a good future episode uh to, okay to chat with somebody i i want to say somebody did a podcast on it did chris pope do one with a with a vet or a, oh, a professor I don't, of some sort i don't i don't recall that i'll have to look back through them yeah i don't i don't remember either but but that is, yeah, that is a good question. I mean, we are now uh, trappers for the most part, most of them are not eating uh, right. most of the animals they catch, although that's becoming more popular now. I mean, I, I only, I think it was two years ago, started eating beaver, beaver mm, meat. Cool. And, and I'm thinking back like, man, why didn't I do this the whole time? Uh, you know, not only is, does it taste awesome, you, you're looking at a natural source of, of meat that is probably about as healthy as it gets and not Mm-hmm. contaminated uh, uh with the number of things that we find at the grocery store um but yeah that's that's something that you would think that of all the animals that are handled every year throughout the country that you you'd have some level of of uh transmission of disease it's surprising seems surprisingly low to me because we don't hear about well that's yeah, so that's great to hear. Like, you're obviously in the trapping community. You've probably talked to hundreds of people who trap. And if you're not hearing anyone getting weird ailments, then that's a pretty good sign to me. Yeah, and you always got to take precautions, you know, like wearing gloves when you're skinning. Yes. And, and uh, especially I've heard, you know, around around the brain area, there's there's concerns there uh, to, to be careful with. Mm. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, with the... Yeah, with the predators, I'm not even opening their stomachs up. I don't even do that. I just I remove the legs and the back strap, maybe a pinch of neck meat, but I don't I don't even open up their guts for the bobcat or for the raccoons. I just leave that closed up. Yeah. For the uh for the beaver though, I tried liver a few nights ago and that was I hate liver. I have to force myself to eat your <laughs> liver. Too, yeah. <laughs> oh, I hate it. Um, but I cooked up, I found a recipe for Southern dirty rice where you use liver and you, you grind it up in the blender and then it's basically like ground beef. And that was surprisingly tasty and pleasant. So that was my first time trying the beaver liver. Yeah. I, I would assume that 
animals that are predators would be more of a concern. Right. Uh, and, and then things like coons because they're getting into all kinds of garbage and stuff. But Right. Yeah, I've only eaten the coons that are in big wood areas, like the WMA or, you know, they're not near suburbia. They're not really near houses that much. Yeah. Um, but just to be clear, just um, from my basic research, that roundworm in the coons, it dies at like 160. So cooking, it should be done. Yeah. Or cook, it dies like 140 ish. Okay. Yeah. And I, I boil them for, you know, boiling is like 212 or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I boil it for like three hours. So. <laughs> should be in good shape. Yeah. yeah. You know, another interesting thing is our tastes can change depending on, you know, what our body needs, right? Uh, hmm. I'm sure you know, you know this with the, with all the herb stuff and that you, you've worked with, but I, I assume that if you were in like a really cold climate and spent a lot of time outside and, and burned, you know, you burning so much body fat that some of that gristle and the deer fat and the, mm. the beaver and raccoon fat might, I wonder if that would start to taste a little better. That is an interesting question. Cause you hear about all the, the trappers up North and the, the native Americans and uh, all of the Alaska natives, they, they always talk about eating, eating fat. Mm. and how good fat is and and obviously fat is required to stay warm in cold weather so yeah well on that topic um oh just so if anyone's interested i could source the resource so i've been looking at this website called traditionalanimalfoods.org and it talks it's all about um the native americans of, of uh north america and it tells you how different tribes their relationship to different animals. So it was even cool to hear how like Martin and Mink, I know that you're the, you're a Martin man. Um, those were not really actively pursued for food, even though they would have been backup food. So in times of famine, sure, you'd eat a Martin, you'd eat a Mink. But um, yeah, the why that came up was because um, you were talking about the, the fat. And I was reading that the, the Penobscot, Penobscot, who yep. were a main... Yep. Yeah, those guys and the Iroquois, they would use raccoon fat and raccoon grease for frying food and for medicinal purposes. I don't know what exactly that means. I think maybe they would have made like a like a balm, like a salve. They might have mixed. My assumption learning from herbalists is you can make you use a fat and then you mix it with plant materials, medicinal plants, and you can make like a rub. So I'm wondering if maybe they did that. Um but yeah, these raccoons from this season, once I fleshed them, I collected the fat and I rendered the fat. I wanted to make like a hand cream. My skin is always so dry, but unfortunately I burned the fat because I went, I went to, uh, to work all day long on a, on a mural and uh, I burned the fat, which really upset me because I wasted this resource. Um, but I did end up using the, the rendered oil for candles, which I had seen on... Do you know that guy, David Canterbury? I don't. Okay, so he has something called Pathfinder Survival School. I've heard of that. Yes, and to go on a quick tangent, I'm really impressed by this guy because he's got like 100,000 followers on Instagram, and he talks about trapping. He shows trapping. He shows like coyotes being trapped, and he talks about it to such a huge audience of non-trappers, and he talks about it in, in a very concise way that i think is really 
I think it's quite important because he's doing it in a really good way for the yeah. non-trapping audience to see what it is. It's the same parallel with Meat Eater. I mean, I'm, I'm yes. always impressed when when they mention trapping and and uh, to such a large audience in in yes in a very uh, a very positive um, perspective and and more and more lately. Yeah. Um. To, so the raccoon. So anyways, he has a video where he shows you how to render raccoon fat to make a, a grease candle. So I did that, but nice. I cut I cut it because it's a grease candle. It's in liquid form when it's hot. So I wanted something a little more stable. So I cut it with trap wax and <laughs> I made this saccoon trap wax candle and they're awesome. Really? So, yeah, they're awesome. I gave one to my mom for Christmas. I, I went to someone's deer hunting camp and I gave them one. Um, what do they smell like when you burn them? Okay, so when I burned the oil, basically, if you render oil, I, I just am learning this through YouTube and everything else. But when you make oil properly, it should be basically odorless. But since I effed it up, it smelled like fryer grease, so I, <laughs> I, which is not nice. So, but the candle doesn't have any odor. Okay. It's not bad. Yeah. Um, but hey, you just brought a meat eater. So... Here's something I've been thinking about regarding you. So someone that I've been listening to so much to learn has been Clay Newcomb over the past few years. He's the guy that runs Bear Hunting Magazine. Do you know him? I don't. Okay, so he runs Bear Hunting Magazine. And one of his main things is how to, he's really into houndsmen. So showing about the whole houndsman culture, like in Appalachia and in the South, which is quite fascinating. And he also talks a lot about how to pursue bear on foot, how to in this in the East Coast, how to track them. And I've learned so much from him. And just recently, like the past few months, he has been incorporated by Meat Eater. And I've been yeah, thinking there's, about there's there's they're taking up a whole bunch of people, aren't they? Yes. And so he had a really successful podcast. And I'm wondering why are they doing this? And I'm thinking that they're trying to get people from all different subgenres of hunting yeah. to express those subgenres. So here's a guy that does hound hunting. So I think that's kind of why they've taken him in and he already had an audience. So I don't I know you're like you're like the old school free trapper and you want or an independent or the <laughs> independent. But I do kind of want someone like you to be on the meat eater team to kind of speak to trapping all the time because i think there needs to be someone like that it, it it really is amazing to watch that company grow they're, they're becoming like a, a media empire in the hunting yes industry and i i don't know if that would ever happen i i i'm not really sure about it but i will tell you that i'm picking up a lot of uh things from them through osmosis so mm. uh, i I have a lot of times thought about how I should approach certain things with the podcast and the website mm. and, and looking to what Renella is doing there. It's been really uh, informative. It's been real helpful for me is just to see, see how that, that model is working for them and, and how they've been so successful. So mm. th there's, they're doing a lot of good stuff. Um, and I, I hope to see it continue and, and continue to grow. Yeah, I can see lately Renella has been talking a lot about trapping. So I'm actually trying to get uh, Seth Morris on um, mm. on the show. Do you know him? 
Um, I, yeah, I think so. He's the the flip flop flasher. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, Very we've been cool. back and forth. I'm not sure if I'll be able to we'll be able to schedule something, but I'm trying. Uh, I'd I'd love to get his thoughts on it too. But I'm still crossing my fingers that you get Hymo on your show. Yeah, yeah. He was just in from he was just into Fairbanks there a few weeks ago. I <laughs> should have got him on the phone at the time, but I, he's back up now, as far as I know. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. There's so many, man. I get a list that's so long, and and uh, I need to like. Uh, somebody to schedule interviews for me <laughs> oh yeah but um speaking of podcasts why you want to talk about yours sure i could mention that briefly it's been a little bit so uh my main my job right now i'm an i'm an illustrator so i do a lot of work for herbalists and apothecaries for nonprofits. a lot of it on the plant side so a lot of um Appalachia is an incredible region of biodiversity, especially for plants. And there's all these medicinal plants which have been used by the indigenous people and have been used for centuries that are really remarkable. And over you know, the past decades, these populations of plants have really been um, overforaged. And with habitat, habitat loss, just like with lots of animals, these things are becoming, can become at risk. So I'm being hired by a lot of people that are focused on those subjects. And uh, while I'm more interested in the animals, I still love learning all about the plants. And I just kind of felt like I needed to make a podcast where I could just ask people for their stories. Because I feel as though people in the country have these incredibly beautiful and profound stories about their experiences with the natural world. So... I kind of see a connection with a lot of these while while these groups um, have their own little niches and they kind of collect together. I was like, can I get these different groups of people to listen to each other just from sharing stories? So the podcast is free form conversation like this. And then I ask them to share a story Um in advance, I tell them, hey, can you think about a story where you've had a really meaningful or profound or mysterious experience with anything in the natural world? A lot of stuff with like ghosts and with people in the family dying and animals showing up around deaths. Really fascinating. Um, but yeah, I do see so many connections. I see connections with the herbalists and with the trappers. I mean, both of you guys are creating these kind of like witch-like potions you know the trappers are making their lures and you know <laughs> grind you know it's almost like something out of a shakespearean witch scene you guys are grinding up glands and skunk essence and it's it's very witchy and you're using that to attract an, a wild animal and it's like very cool and then you have the herbalists doing very similar stuff grinding up all these plants and making these powerful remedies um and you guys are both using like the same jars like all your like, <laughs> yeah, that's it's, true it's fascinating <laughs> it's, it's it's really fascinating and um so yeah i'm just trying to i guess i guess without sounding uh holier than thou i'm trying to just get people connected we're living in this like time of all this polarity everyone disliking each other it's like can i just have a podcast where we just talk about what you love like do you love herbalism 
You love living in the woods. You love animals. You love plants. Even if you're killing them, you love them. So yeah. let's just tell stories. Like, let's just talk about what you love. And what's the response been? Um, well, I've kind of slowed down because I got a huge illustration job. I need to get back into it. The responses, I have gotten quite a few responses just privately, just saying people are really enjoying it. They've cried at some of the episodes. And, you know, yeah. It, to me, it seems like uh, it, we talk a lot about trapping and the bad rap that trapping gets in and for for a number of different reasons but i've always been a believer that uh th- just like in that tentilla paper you know don't knock something until you know it and, and mm-hmm. learn more about it and i feel that's a really po- big positive is just getting non-trapping people more exposed to to the humans behind the the trappers exactly exactly i do feel as an artist, I have a separate body of artwork, which is kind of wild and it's nightmares and dreams and paranoias. But um, I do naturally as an artist feel, feel um, attracted to taboos. And you know, today, today there's nothing taboo about being covered in tattoos and being in a polyamorous relationship, you know, and all this weird stuff like up in New York city, there's doing tons of drugs. There's nothing taboo about that. Like now, the most taboo thing you could possibly be would be a Christian family man who's a trapper. So, <laughs> so, so I'm kind of like interested in that. So I, I do feel a growing responsibility to clarify. I do feel a real responsibility to, for trapping. Like that I need to, that this is something that's very, could be close to getting wiped out like I, I really appreciated your last podcast where you talked about that trapping ban because that freaked me out yeah and I, I hope this is here for a long time and i hope this is something my future kid i can do with my future kids i see how my girlfriend is so interested in this i see how there's an ancient there's an ancientness a connection an ancient connection to the landscape and to animals through this and i do feel a growing responsibility to just talk about it a lot and to share about it yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a great thing. Um, and you're sharing it through your art. Tell us about that mural. Oh yeah. So, wow. I'm super grateful because I got basically got the biggest job of my artistic life thus far. I got, um, there was a submission process in the town. That's about 20 minutes down the road. I'm in, I'm in a little backwooded hollow, um, in the Blue Ridge mountains outside of the Shenandoah national park. But there's a town about 20 minutes away, which is the um, northernmost town for the Shenandoah National Park, the northernmost entrance. And um, it's called Front Royal, Virginia. And uh, they had a submission process to hire a handful of artists to like beautify the town, to paint large scale murals. So I submitted to it thinking I would never get the job. I've never painted a mural before and I got the job. And basically it's been carte blanche. They've kind of let me do whatever I want. I, I presented ideas, but they haven't, they haven't edited the ideas That's in any awesome. way, shape or form. Yeah. So you just showed them like examples of the work that you've done. Yeah, I did a sketch. I yeah. showed them the sketch of what it would look like. Okay. And um, I just tried to incorporate a little bit of everything that I've learned since moving to the country and loved, you know, I have, um, you know, there's a river scene because we have the Shenandoah River here, which is very important to 
kayakers and canoers and fishermen. So I have a river scene with a with a big black bear eating pawpaws. Pawpaws are one of the south the it's the largest fruit in America. It's like a tropical fruit. The the herbalists and foragers love the pawpaws. Hmm. So I've got a bear eating that. I've got a river otter in there. I've got a you know great blue heron. There's a woodland scene. I put a trapper in there with a pack basket and he's got a little trap chain coming out of it and a nice. beaver tail sticking out of awesome. the basket. He's got, <laughs> yeah, he's got maple leaves for dyeing the traps and um, he's, he's walking with a stick and he's got his little squirrel dog and the squirrel dog has treed a squirrel and there's a cabin, there's a caving scene. The caving is really big here. We have uh, all across all across this section of kind of the Blue Ridge Mountains and Appalachia are big limestone areas that are that the caving community, um, you know, big caving community because of this limestone geology, I guess. Yeah, carves um, out a lot of caves. Yeah, exactly. So I've really tried to just include lots of different things from what I'm interested with the podcast and, you know, just cultural stuff. It's folk. There's a folk element to it. Yeah, that is that is really cool. Yeah. And you so you are still I, I shouldn't tell people that you're available to do any artwork cuz you got a lot to do for me first. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Um but but you were you were uh uh herbaceous human and now yeah. you're our numinous nature. Dot yeah, yeah, yeah. bigcartel.com. Mhm. And on Instagram our numinous n-u-m-i-n-o-u-s nature which is also the name of the podcast the the herbal stuff so yeah that i got into the herbal stuff through my mom who was an herbalist who introduced me to herbal people that started hiring me but that's not really who i am i'm more interested in in animals and the folk stuff so and you've got shirts you've got you got a squirrel shirt uh a bear yeah i think you've sold out of most all of them you get a winter woodpecker uh, just a, a bunch of different t-shirts you've done artwork for. Yeah, I've got um, a new one coming like in the mail right now. It's of a bobcat after my bobcat <laughs> Nice. <experience>. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't take long. Yeah, no, it didn't. And then, so, of course, you've got the, the Mustela t-shirt. You did all the artwork for that. And uh, yes, people have loved I, that thing. It made me so happy to hear you talking about on the podcast how some, I think a young woman who just started trapping sent you a picture with her first catch and wearing the t-shirt in Alaska. Yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah, with a Martin. And then another guy was in Minnesota, I think. He he had a picture of a, a Martin and a weasel wearing the wearing the t-shirt. So cool. I'd love to try weasel. I don't know if I would. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I don't Eating. mean eat. I just mean catch. <laughs> okay. I just mean catch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're an interesting little guy to catch. It, do you have very many of them there? I'm not sure. When I interviewed our fur bear biologist, I brought it up, and I mean, I guess we've got two species here, but I'm not sure about the populations. I'm not even sure where to begin. I've watched some videos on YouTube, but I, I have no idea. Yes, uh, if you get snow, if you get much mm. snow, that's really the time to to figure out whether they're around because you'll mm. see the tracks. Got it. Okay. Well, man, I think I've knocked down everything I had written down. Anything else that you uh, f uh, that we forgot to mention, or you'd like to talk about? Um, let me see here. 
I did take some quick notes. Um, yeah, I've got this Bobcat shirt coming out. Um, oh, I guess just some two, a quick, well, here's two quick things I thought would be neat to tell you. One is that, you know, I caught that possum last year, but I didn't really want to eat the possum, but I used the possum as bait to catch my first snapping turtle. Nice. So, so I thought that was kind of fun. And uh, we ate that snapping turtle. And um, I guess, yeah, when, so I've been telling you how I'm so interested in this ancient trapping history. I found this paper from the University of Nebraska. Um, I'm not sure, it said that it was written by a wildlife specialist, but I thought the title of it was trapping as, I think it was trapping as the first occupation. I thought that is so interesting. Like this, this is pre-hunting and this is pre-agriculture. Like this might have been one of the oldest things humans have done and the oldest like trade item. I think, man, so to connect prostitution. But he said that he said, <laughs> but he wrote in this paper, he said before prostitution, you really? got to have something to buy uh, prostitution with. That's true. That's true. Absolutely. So you're, you sell a pelt for a prostitute, I guess. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Yeah, it, you're you're in that rabbit hole, but I I think based on what you were saying earlier, your lure making might be your next rabbit hole. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> that's neat. That is neat. Yeah, and that I guess that's about it. All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming on, Philippe. I really appreciate it again, and uh, people can follow your podcast at our numinous nature or check out the the instagram page which is the same name correct mm-hmm. yep and uh find find out check out all your art and hopefully we'll we'll have more trapping today artwork coming up thank you and i'm honored to be on this podcast i'm a total greenhorn so i can't believe it that you have me on here and i've so appreciated this podcast for my own learning as i'm engaging in this uh engaging in this ancient act yeah, right on. Well, hey, Philippe, thanks again, and, and take care. Thank you, brother. Oh, that was fun talking with Philippe. Um, it Just the inspiration, you know, that people, when people get into trapping for the first time, and they're just so excited about it, thinking about it all the time, and thinking about things from all different angles, things that a lot of us who've been trapping for a longer period of time just haven't really thought about maybe we get stuck in a rut and our mind isn't open to a lot of different ideas and thoughts and questions but you have Philippe just uh he takes it from a different angle it's pretty cool to to hear from him and and just uh, all the different ways that that he thinks about it and I, it struck me the second time around listening to it uh you know how he discussed the taboos in society and how you know really in today's society being a trapper is a taboo it's something that's that's considered you know out of the norm uh, that's the complete opposite of of where we were several decades ago and uh, it's interesting to see that some people in mainstream society are kind of uh, turning to things like trapping and, and uh, discovering it rediscovering something that our ancestors were so connected to so it's a cool thing i i absolutely uh, love getting different people onto the, the podcast and, and you, Hey, you just never know what, what's going to come up. There's so many things in trapping we can discuss and so many different aspects of it. And that's part of what I, why I love it. 
And if you want to check out some of that artwork that Philippe and I discussed, particularly the uh, Mustela t-shirt, check it out at trappingtodaystore.com. There are lots of t-shirts in stock. I, I placed a big order a few weeks back and, and I get a bunch in stock. So we get all sizes available now. $25 free shipping. It's a really high quality shirt. I think you will like it. And uh, it's got it's got all the Philippe's artwork on different species, wolverine, mink, otter, martin, fisher, weasel, and badger. So it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful t-shirt. And I've got the other, the long distance call lure, the other trapping lures, uh, the books, Walter Arnold, main trapper, and for a profit, everything's there at the store. Check it out. Finally, Cots Brothers Lures wants you to sign up for their email newsletter. Check them out, cotsbros.com. Scroll down and you'll see a newsletter tab. Click on that and you'll be able to input your email address. You'll have to verify that and you will be on the newsletter. Um, that's going to give you access to anytime uh, Kyle or Kellen wants to send something out to update us all on what's going on with Cotsbros. If they have a new product available, if they have a sale going on, a special discount code or anything like that, that's going to show up in the newsletter. So uh, go to Cotsbros and sign up for that. And guys, again, it's been great as always. Lots more to come. I have a million ideas. Uh, I don't have a lot of uh, necessarily time to organize those ideas lately, but I'm trying. jrodwood at gmail.com, J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com is how you contact me. Uh, partially joking, but I kind of, if anybody wants a part-time job as an assistant to set up a bunch of this stuff, uh, I may be considering that. Um, but until next time, uh, we there will be a next time, and, and uh, regardless of how busy it is, we will get up a new podcast and and it'll be uh, something totally new. So I'm excited uh, to figure out what we're going to do next week and the week after and the week after that. Uh, you just never know. But I guarantee you one thing, it's going to be trapping. So keep on talking trapping. Keep on thinking trapping. If you got a trapping season still going on in, in your area, get out there and set some traps. Enjoy the outdoors. And we will catch you on the next episode.